Ladies and gentlemen, with me today, I have uh, my friend and colleague, Ed Gandia, co-author of The Wealthy Freelancer and the founder of uh, the International Freelancers Academy, one of the most friendly and probably most talented B2B copywriters I've ever met, who has graduated from being a B2B copywriter into coaching other people into, uh, into enjoying the success that he has. As, uh, as a coach and, and writer. So, Ed, thank you so much for coming on the, the show. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Derek. It's, this is fun. I enjoy doing it, and I appreciate the invite. I'm holding in my hands a copy of The Wealthy Freelancer. And, Ed, as I've, I've spoken, to, as I've told a lot of people before, this is one of the first books that I bought whenever I transitioned from working uh, for others to working for myself. The title absolutely grabbed me, The Wealthy Freelancer. I mean, you spoke straight to exactly where I, I was. You know, so before we get any further, how did y'all come up with such a perfect spot-on title? Man, I'm glad you asked because this is actually the biggest source of pain <laughs> for me, believe it or not. Uh, so... We, a little bit of background, my co-authors and I had um, had joined forces to put a blog together. So we each had side businesses where we did a little bit of coaching and sold some training programs and so forth, but we were all independent, yet we targeted pretty much the same audience, and it was essentially freelance professionals, mostly freelance copywriters, freelance writers, freelance creative professionals and, and other disciplines as well. But the idea was we were friendly competitors, and we thought, what if we put a blog together and we can kind of share the responsibilities of creating content? And on the blog, we can promote through banner ads and other means kind of our own websites, right? So it would be a central hub to drive traffic to each of our websites. And I think you know we'll create some synergies because – Three of us together is going to, you know, equal four or five instead of three. So that was the idea, and we're coming up. This is before the book. We're trying to come up with a title for for the blog, and we batted a bunch of them around. And the wealthy freelancer came about. I think it was Steve who suggested it because of the book, the wealthy barber. And it, I, I haven't read it to be honest with you, but it was a it's a parable from what I understand. Oh, yeah. I've never read it either, but I've, I've come across the title a couple of different places. Right? It's it's apparently a best-selling book, and I love – we just love the sound of it because we got it, right? Even though Steve was the only one who had read it, we got it instantly. We yeah. knew that it wasn't about the financial wealth. We knew that there was a a broader definition there, and we love kind of that parable angle. So I think we started down that road of you know more of a parable concept, but um, it just it, the the more we we said it, the more we we kind of worked with that title, the more we liked it, and we just built a whole concept around it and and pitched it to uh, to a um, well pitched it to a a uh, oh, what you call them a um, literary. Yeah, a literary agent, and uh, and he ran with it, and we can talk more about that. But interestingly, it created 
it polarized our audience. Uh, our definition of wealth was a very holistic definition. The way we were describing it was you're a wealthy freelancer when you have the projects, the clients, the income, and the lifestyle that you want. So it's a balanced approach. You have to have all of them. It can't be unbalanced all the time. And the way many people in our audience read it was wealth means financial wealth and cars and rock and roll and, you know, vacation homes. Well, I mean, in in their defense, you do have a a shiny red convertible on the cover. Well, that was probably like the saddest day of my life is when we got the mock-up of the cover and they put a vintage Corvette on it. Yeah. And we just lost it. Um, You know, this is one of the things when you work with a traditional publisher, you have very little input. And our input, even though we were dead set against it, the, the publisher wouldn't budge. So right. here you are saying wealthy, and instead of having a different, you know, a concept that basically communicates balance and a different definition of wealth, you're basically screaming financial wealth, material wealth. So creative entrepreneurs, creative freelance professionals tend to be tend to not be about that um, yeah. because money is not the first reason they went out on their own. It's really about freedom and flexibility, and all the surveys we've done, that is the number one thing. So, it, uh, it again, it polarized our audience, and um, it's something that I wish we would have thought about a little more and gotten some more outside feedback on because we were thinking about it one way, but it was groupthink at that point. The three of us were thinking about it, and the more we thought about it, the more we sold ourselves on it, and we didn't really get much outside feedback. So if you had it to do over again, you might have gone to say maybe some of the the people that y'all were already working with, or maybe some of your fellow freelancers. I would have definitely done that. We would have done a survey uh, just to get objective feedback, and um, I would have also just ran it past a few people who I know would have given me very honest uh, reactions to it. And I think we would have found that. Um, that there was definitely some different perception out there if we were trying to do it. First, I would have probably brushed it off, but it would have been a very clear message. I think we would have gone back to the drawing board. So I think one of the biggest lessons there is, um, you know, when when you're working with a title, whether you start there and you're building a book around that concept or whatever it is, just make sure you check in with your target audience uh, and, and get honest feedback. You've you, you got to get it from many different ways. Don't just ask people because many people don't want to hurt your feelings so they won't be frank with you all the time. Yeah. Get it in many different ways so you can get a complete picture. Yeah, you know, it's it's a great point that you bring up because I've, I've seen um, authors go to their clients or their customers or their friends and, and family to get feedback on uh, the design of a, of a cover or the title. But the problem with those people is I think there's, there's two, it's a twofold problem with, with that group of people. One is like you said, a lot of times they don't want to be mean or they want to be supportive. They don't want to say anything negative. Oh, it's a great book. You're going to do so, you know, so great. It's a great cover, whatever. But the other problem is that they already know the author. So they know the context 
of the the title and the book and the and the cover. So you know, like you like you were saying, the, a polarized audience. The people that already knew you and were probably following your your blog knew that by wealthy you meant holistic. You meant the freedom and, and creativity. Whereas somebody looking at it cold would have said, "Oh, this turns me off because this uh, I'm not really about the money. I'm really more about the." The freedom to have the kind of life that that I want. So I'm I'm with you. I think um, getting that feedback is important, but I think it's important that authors get it from people who will be uh, you know supportive and and un- honest and in a very in a very supportive way. But also people who don't have context about the the book or the author or the author's background. So looking at it cold, so that they can say, well the well, if a freelancer, okay, well, I mean, I'm not a freelancer, but if I ever want to make a lot of money on my own, and then that might have been the clue, oh, that, that, that's not quite the, the chord we're trying, we're trying to strike here. Absolutely, and if you already have an audience, so if you already have a mailing list, that is such an invaluable asset. Um, reach out to your audience. I've seen several authors do this since then, and I think they've pulled it off brilliantly. The way I've seen it the most often is, They've narrowed it down to, let's say, three or four titles, combination of title and subtitle, and they just put it out there. And they say, look, I'm working on my next book. Please kind of keep us keep this between us here among us. And uh, But I'd love to get your opinion. This survey will take you literally three seconds. Just want your first impression on these four finalists in terms of title. Um, and and then it what so the way I've seen it structured is you put that out there even if you just get a hundred responses even fifty responses that's great then on the thank you page for the survey ask them if they'd be willing to provide you with more feedback once you finalize it so that you know that could be that could be very powerful because if let's say out of a hundred twenty people say yes then you have a group of twenty who is your core audience and then maybe once you settle on a title, you can get some additional feedback uh, in in other areas in terms of content or what have you. Well, Ed, let's get down a little bit into into kind of the the nuts and and bolts. So that's the the title, which is, as I've said time and time again, the most important words of your book are on the cover. Title has to be spot on. It sells the rest of the book. But getting into the nuts and, and bolts of the book, how did the the three of y'all work together to put to you know to actually produce a, a good book? I've seen so many um, potential partnerships in, in in doing a book project together fall apart because maybe because of personality issues or maybe because they weren't on the same page or they had creative differences. How did you and Steve and and Pete um, actually get the the book done? Yeah, it's a great question. We weren't sure how we were going to do it. We knew that we were going to split up the work, but we weren't sure how we were going to do that. We weren't sure how we were going to represent the work. Were we going to try to write in third person and just say, hey, uh, you know, Steve has experienced this, Pete has experienced that, Ed has experienced the other thing? Or were we going to author each chapter individually in credit the author, the, the the who 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 put it together. So mm-hmm. we went back and forth on that. I think it was one of the first things, and we settled on the idea of just uh, splitting up the chapters. We came up with an outline fairly quickly, and uh, we split up the chapters 
and we just decided that we we're going to just indicate who the author for the chapter was, which is a little unusual. I've seen this done before, but you know, it's not yeah. a the typical way, right? Yeah, so most we, of the time, um, the publishers or, or other ghostwriters, they all they suggest going the uh, going the third person route, right? Writing in in one voice, not trying to to split it up. But I think it worked out well for y'all. I, I liked having the the different perspectives and sometimes the different voices in those chapters. Yeah, it, it did. It, it it did work well. I think our voices are similar in many ways, but there are some some differences. And it added some variety, and we each have our own strengths. So we pick chapters that were normally uh, with material that just comes natural to, to to us, or we enjoy writing about. Uh, the reason it was easy also to figure out the outline is the subtitle of the book is Twelve Secrets to a Great Income and an Enviable Lifestyle." So <laughs> there you go, twelve chapters. <laughs> Plus uh, an introduction and then a concluding chapter and a couple. I think it ended up being 15 chapters. Um, so I think somebody <laughs> somebody ended up writing a, an extra one. Uh, I think I, I think it was 14. Uh, I think about it, 14. So somebody got stuck with an extra one, but no big deal. And um, yeah, so it was actually fairly easy. You know, we had an unusual situation. The three of us are writers. We were comfortable writing in this format. Uh, we're used to deadlines, so it wasn't a big issue. But we did kind of go back and forth a few times on on splitting it up and deciding and kind of narrowing down. We had a lot of ideas. We knew it was going to be 12 secrets, but we also had a lot of ideas, uh, and we, we kind of had to narrow things down because some of the chapters could – some of those topics could have gotten out of hand very quickly. If we let it, each of those could be some of those could be a, like a whole book on their own. Yeah, yeah, they are, and, and you can find other books on on just um, on just some of these these topics. But I, I think y'all did a, a really good job of keeping it focused, of not going um, you know too too high, you know, over over our heads. But at the same time, sometimes not getting down too far deep into the into the weeds. I like the fact that it's a very practical book. So, for somebody um, like I was, who was, you know, I had been a mid-level manager and, and done some some marketing on the you know on the employed side, but to go into being self-employed, to go into being a freelancer, I needed some really practical advice, not just on. Um, the writing, but how do I live my life as a freelancer? And y'all, uh, so I'm, I'm saying I admire the balance that y'all achieve. Was that was that just kind of natural because y'all had been living this life for so long, or did y'all struggle with with finding that that balance and having to having to figure out how how not to go too deep, but then how to make sure that it's not too vague and generic either. Well, we agreed early on that we wanted it to be a how-to book. We wanted it to be very practical. Mm-hmm. And that was well aligned with our approach in the blog that we had created and the training classes and programs that we put together. So we were used to that. It comes naturally to us. Uh, I would say I'm probably even more uh, detailed in terms of giving step-by-step instruction, but we're all very comfortable in that format. So how-to was was a no-brainer. We wanted it to be that way. We didn't want it to be one of these 
uh, fluffy, you know, big vision books. We enjoy yeah. those, but that's that's not who we are, and that's not what we wanted to create. So yeah, it, it worked out great. I think if one of us had been more of a visionary, big picture person, it would have been more of a struggle. But that wasn't the case. You know, one of the things that that just struck me, Ed, whenever I'm, I'm talking to potential clients and uh, I'm gauging or estimating about how much time it's going to take to do the project, one of the big things that I, I look for is how much time the author has spent with the the material before writing the book. So, for instance, if they've been uh, doing seminars and, and workshops for a year or two years, or even you know three or four, if they've been providing this kind of consulting, and now they're ready to just take all of that knowledge and turn it into a book, I find that they're pretty clear about the the book's audience, about the topic, about what they want to do, versus somebody who's had just kind of an idea rolling around in the back of their head, but they haven't actually engaged with the material. And so, you know, since you and, and Steve and, and Pete, how long before y'all, before y'all started writing the book, how long had y'all been working together on that blog? You know, it hadn't been that long. I want to say we launched a blog in July, and we got the book contract in March, so okay. it wasn't so, even a year. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't even a year. But you know, we worked closely together that whole time. Number one, and number two, we had worked. We were very familiar with these topics, right? Because we were teaching this material, we were writing about it, so it wasn't a new thing for us. It was just an extension right. of the blog. Yeah, and I think that that's whenever I come across those authors who have had, who have engaged with with their material, you know, directly either through a blog or through seminars or workshops or consulting, that they they've had time to kind of work some of the kinks and some of the bugs out. So they're not coming up with like a, a consulting framework or a methodology from scratch. They started out with something and then they saw that this worked had time to kind of work the bugs out before actually turning it into a, a book. And when I work with authors who haven't, it takes us longer. I mean, we can still, you know, write a, a great book, but we have to go through kind of that process of getting the kinks out and, and talking to an audience and those kinds of things before you, the book really coalesces. Yeah, I agree. So one of the things that made the writing a lot easier was the fact that we already had content. You know, so I before the blog, I already had a newsletter, an email newsletter that I had been sending out for almost a year. And so I had a lot of content from that. I had a lot of content from an ebook that I had written. Pete had a newsletter. Steve had been authoring a newsletter with how-to advice for years. So we each had content we could draw from. I'm not saying we were doing a copy and paste job, but we had fodder, right? We had material that we could take and build on, and it just made the writing process easier just to, to have something you could start with. So speaking of, um, speaking of the, the, the list and the audiences that, that you all already had, can you kind of fast forward to 
you know, y'all have a contract, you know, the, the book's coming out. What did y'all start doing in preparation for the, the book coming out? Besides, you know, telling your friend and family, hey, we've got a, we got a publisher, we've got a book coming out. Well, we had the good fortune of having Steve as, as one of the co-authors. Steve Sloan White had already published, I want to say, three books traditionally. He traditionally would work with publishers. And so he understood the fact that the publisher is not going to market the book for you. You are responsible for marketing it. He made it very clear from the very beginning. So we knew that going in that we were going to have to take that on. Now, fortunately, the three of us are marketers. I mean, so we had a lot of things going for us, right? So we're marketing people. We understand that. Yeah, we didn't yeah shy we're away probably going to do that anyway. Yeah, it was it was good, and we we took on the challenge. That's no problem. In fact, I think we preferred taking that on, uh, especially after we saw the cover of the book from the publisher <laughs> and realized, <laughs> wow, these guys just don't get it. Um, so yeah. And it's we, it's I mean it's a nice looking cover and it it looks it looks good and it catches your eye, but Cheryl's problem is is that it doesn't capture the essence of the book. No, and you know as a side note, here's the irony of all that. So when we're the our agent was pitching the book, I should say that we we found a home for the book very quickly. That just doesn't happen very often. We were very very fortunate. So I, I want to say it was one of the first publishers that he went to or agent, that is, it was an imprint of Penguin. It's a huge publisher, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. And they they liked the idea. One of the only comments they had was that they didn't feel this title or this concept was going to sell very well right now. So i got to take you back. This was in late 2008, early 2009. This is post-market crash, yeah. financial yeah. meltdown. Right. And, you know, people were very skeptical uh, of, of anything like this. And he had a very good point. But I thought it was interesting and ironic that even though he said that and we had to explain to him, no, we get it, in fact, so our definition is broader, this is what we're about, that his team still slapped the red convertible Corvette on the cover. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Uh, we knew we were going to have to take the marketing on. We were going to have to own that. We were perfectly willing to do it. In fact, we had zero expectations of the publisher. So um, we got the contract in March of 2009. Uh, or we had deadlines for half of the manuscript by, I want to say it was May 31st, and the other half by July 31st. So it was kind of a tight timeline because they wanted to publish the following March of 2010. So as soon as we got the manuscript done, we moved very quickly into planning for the marketing of the book. And we just started brainstorming ideas and putting together kind of a marketing plan. We'd already indicated what some of those ideas were in our book proposal, but we picked it up where we had left off and and started expanding on these ideas and planning for it. So what worked and what didn't? All right, so, yeah, i tell you what really worked. Uh, What worked was leveraging our collective audiences. So we had, right, our blog. That was a no-brainer. But we still had our individual mailing list. And we, we, yeah, so we had an audience 
that was more than willing to you know to, to help us out by buying a copy, maybe buying a copy for a friend, recommending the book, spreading the word. Our audience was awesome. So that that was leveraging our audience was in our platform was a no brainer and that worked as planned. The other thing that worked really well was leveraging our relationships. So people we knew who had large audiences that were relevant in terms of the book, right, topic of the book, and and getting with them early on to see if they'd be willing to help promote the book in their newsletter, blog, or what have you. Uh, That was huge because by doing that early on, we were able to get buy-in from some key players who had very large audiences and the word spread very quickly. The other thing that worked really well was to have a, a launch week. We, we book came out, I want to say, on Tuesday. And that whole week, we just did this campaign where if you bought a copy of the book, you would get these, you know, it's very standard practice, right? Back then, it was still standard practice, not as much as it is today. You see it a ton. But um, we, we already had courses and training programs that we could give away. So if you bought, and we tiered it. That was another smart thing. Uh, if you bought one copy of the book, you get these. You get these three training classes free. Normally sold for you know fifty dollars each or what have you. These are real. It was real training stuff we sold. Real value. Real value. Real world value. Uh, if you bought three or more, you'd get you know then these additional training programs. Uh, we bundled in a contest somewhere in there too. Uh, or sweepstakes, I forget how we structured it. So we had several things, and it, you just had to send a copy of your receipt and, and all that. So there was some tracking there, but um, it worked. I mean, people responded to it. People were buying multiple copies for friends. And um, we, our goal was to sell as many books as possible that week and get on the Amazon bestseller list. We made it all the way to, I want to say it was like number 44 in all of Amazon, which wow. elevated our book to people in, uh, who would never know about the book otherwise, right? So it put it in right. front of people who weren't in our audience, and that gave us even more momentum. So, so that was kind of phase one. We had a two, two-phase approach. Phase one was when the book launched. Phase two was in the fall once momentum had kind of slowed down. We wanted to revive it. Uh, and phase two was all about creating an online event. Now, this is 2010. This is before online summits were very popular. In fact, it was kind of a new concept back then. We created this online summit called International Freelancers Day, and it was a mm-hmm. free online I summit. Remember, I remember the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was right. It was all day. Was it was live, and uh, think of it as... TV, right, so it's pre-recorded sessions, but they were broadcast live every hour on the hour from 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. until 7 p.m. And um, the, the book was the main sponsor. So the, we played a commercial uh, in between sessions at the beginning of the sessions, and we ran another contest then as well, I believe. And, and there again, we got way up on Amazon, sold a bunch of books, and... Yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was free to attend, but the book was the sponsor. Right. Now here's 
I don't want to say the, the bigger question because, I mean, having the, the launch and everything, that, that's huge. But one of the things that I always encourage people to look at is not just the immediate but the, the long term. So whenever you're writing a business book, especially a, a thought leadership book, and this is a how-to book, but at the same time, it, you know, the, the three of you all positioning yourselves as kind of these, these uh, whether you meant to or not, the go-to gurus for freelancing um, success and freelancing help. So whenever you're writing these kinds of, of books, it's important to think about where you're going to be and and what the book is going to be like in um, in a five or ten or fifteen years. Because if you have a a, a business book that can follow you that long, I mean, look at that Tom Peters and, and Jim Collins, right? They wrote um, their respective books, In Search of Excellence and, and Good to Great, back in the 1980s. So I mean, here we are, 30 years later. And they're still known for those those books. It's important to look forward uh, in in time whenever you're uh, putting all of this together. So all of that as a preface to this question. So over the past six years, what has the book done? What has the book done for um, for you? And then if you could also speak to what it's done for for Steve and, and Pete. Sure. So the book essentially enabled me to create a, a business. We had, as I mentioned, the three of us individually had our own little training businesses, but the book gave us a new foundation or a new platform from which to create kind of a new business. And still to this day I say, look, it's you know, I, we haven't really made money on the book. The real money has been made by bringing people into our world. Um, so Steve and Pete, we kind of went off separate ways uh, within about a year uh, of, of the book coming out. We just had different goals, still friends, um, but we, we all wanted to do different things. So I ran with the Wealthy Freelancer, created a different brand because, again, the whole wealthy thing was, was a problem. But the book was still was driving a uh, big chunk of the traffic my way. It was a source of credibility and authority. And it, it gave me that foundation to then build build from there. So it's it's I've gotten a ton of mileage from that book. I don't regret it at all. And I think part of it has to do again with the fact that we knew going in that this was not going to be a moneymaker. This is going to be a way to create, develop and grow a platform for for a bigger business. And so by knowing that explicitly you could you could plan for it, you could take advantage of it. Absolutely. And and I mean to to answer your question even more directly, I would say Derek, it's enabled me to go at the time ninety percent of what I did, not just my activities but my my income, was doing freelance work for clients. Um, it's enabled me to flip that and do what I discovered I actually enjoyed doing even more, which is teaching and training and coaching other freelance professionals on how to earn more and less time doing work they love for better paying clients. So it's enabled me to just reinvent myself, shift my work into something that I enjoy even more. Uh, but without the book, uh, that, w- that wouldn't have been possible. 
Wow, that's uh, that's pretty neat. All of that from uh, from a book, and you didn't even have to write it all yourself. You got to uh, you got to divvy up the the workload. So exactly. Right. <laughs> Teamwork. Well, yeah, yeah. I, what was that that quote? I love it when there's a great group of people all pulling together to uh, to make me look good. <laughs> yeah, true. So if you had to do it again, you said you would uh, you definitely write the the book again. Um, what are some things maybe that you would have done uh, differently? Well, one I've already mentioned, right? The whole title. I uh, really wish yeah. I would have gone to our audience and just gotten their unfettered feedback. I, I think we would have we would have found that there were some issues there. Uh, so you think that if it, well, I hate to I hate to interrupt, but just to 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 connect that to a thought you had earlier about. Um, the publisher you know, not not wanting to budge on the on the cover and the cover really taking its its um cue from the title. So maybe if you would have if the three of y'all would have had a different title and have taken a different title to the publisher, you think that um y'all could have set kind of set some of the the groundwork up before so it would have fallen more in the direction that y'all had in mind rather than a wealthy freelancer, and then them just going further down that that path. You know, it's hard to say, right? In hindsight, we I would have done it differently. Then again, you don't know. Would a different concept and a different title would that have captured the attention of the publisher? You know, so to be fair, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, you know, they 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 picked it up and they picked it up quickly with a very yeah. minor concern that we were able to address. So. The question is, had we gone in a different direction, would that would that have been interesting to them? Would they have jumped on it? I don't know that. But um, assuming they would have, uh, I, I, I still would have would have thought about that title a little differently, and not fall in love with it right away and close mm-hmm. my mind to, to new ideas. And by the way, the three of us were guilty of that. I don't think there was much discussion once we kind of settled on that one. Mm-hmm. We just kind of ran with it. So, so that's that's a big one. Um, the second one, and this is this is big. This is a huge lesson for me. Um, we were trying to go big with this. So, one thing I didn't mention is you know, the reason we had this promotional plan, which is very extensive, is we didn't just want to be Amazon bestseller. We actually we had very high aspirations. We wanted to be a New York Times bestselling. Uh, a book. That's what we wanted. And to do that, you have to move a ton of books very quickly. Yeah. So the, our whole idea and our assumption was, let's go big. Let's go. It's, how, it's a how-to book, but let's go and, and tap into this huge trend of freelancing. Because at the time, especially after the financial collapse of companies had laid off all these workers and they were hiring people back but as freelancers. So not only had the trend already started, but it accelerated with with a financial collapse. So we were trying to tap into that and kind of go big picture with that idea that this is the way, this is a new world of work. We got very, very uh, close to the data. We could speak to the trend uh, in a very detailed way in an interview. So we knew what we were talking about, 
but it wasn't congruent, right? So we have a very tactical how-to book, yet we're trying to go big picture uh, with kind of a bigger message like somebody like Dan Pink would, would have, if that makes sense, right? So it, it just it didn't – I don't think that worked really well. We had to pick one or the other. Either we're going to go how-to and get really tactical, or we're going to go big picture – and talk about the trends and the shift and the demographics and where this is going. And, and you know, it would have been a very interesting book, but um, that's a whole different type of book, whole different type of marketing you have to do. And I think because we're maybe thinking along two different ways, uh, we diluted our effort, if that makes sense. So if I were to go back, I would have zeroed in on what do we want to do, we, we, you know, we either can become the spokespeople for the freelance movement, <laughs> or we can sell a lot of books. And um, in, you know, in terms of how to, right, go after the how to market people who are looking for very practical information right now. They, they, in other words, a manual they can just execute on. And then the third thing I would do is I would have actually narrowed down our market. You know, freelancing is just such a big, big. I know it doesn't seem like it. But it's a massive, massive category in an industry. And I wish we would have narrowed things down a little bit more because I think we would have gotten even more buy-in and the message wouldn't have been as diluted. I think we have some very practical advice in the book. But my advice to anyone out there is, look, the more you can niche, the better. Uh, It's easier to market. It's easier to gain traction. Uh, and it's easier to get the results you ultimately want the book to give you, whatever that might be. So think long and hard about you know, ultimately who is your target market and try to be as specific as possible in your book and the advice you give in your message. I think you're better off that way rather than going to you know, kind of the bigger picture or higher level. I'm going to address the whole business world or you know, this whole industry. Um, that's really hard to do these days. You're better off going narrower. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to be smarter with your marketing, and uh, I think you'll get better results. Ed, I could not agree any any more with you. I think that it is incredibly important. I've I've, I've spoken to so many authors, and I wish I had a better way to. Um, I wish I had a good analogy or something for them to help them understand exactly what you just said, that by going deeper and by what they're worried about is excluding you know, people. Well, if we, if we say, you know, if you were to take your book, for instance, if we say that we're only writing this book for freelance writers, well, then we're going to be excluding graphic artists and uh, and, and um Well, translators and web developers, right, and all these other right transcribers, yeah, or transcriptionists. Yeah, we're going to be we're going to be excluding all of these all of these people, and so we should we should be more broad so that we can have more people. But I think I think that that dilution is probably the best way to succinctly convey that. The more that you dilute it, the the less power that it has. So the more um, the more narrow that you go, the more it speaks to exactly the audience that you're going for. And once you get some buy-in 
um, and those people can recommend it to other people. I mean, I've read plenty of books that were, you know, for one audience, but I said, wow, this is great for me, even though it has nothing to do with my, with what I'm, I'm doing. It's it's a great piece of, of, uh, of advice. And I would, in turn, recommend the book on to people that it hadn't been written for, but it was such a, a great book and, and so chock full of advice that I would uh, I'd recommend it on. And I think that that's what you're saying that y'all could have done for the, the wealthy freelancer by um, maybe focusing on, I assume, you know, it'd probably be freelance writing since that's the background for the three of you, that you could have actually gotten, uh, could have gone, gone deeper and maybe even gotten a, a wider audience. Yeah, and it, there are many ways we could have gone about it. Uh, one would have been with a category, so focus specifically on one type of freelancer, like you said, you know, just freelance writers and copywriters only. Or we could have focused on one element of freelancing alone. Instead of this bigger picture, hey, great clients and income and lifestyle and all that, that's a lot to cover. What if we just focused on get better paying clients? Right. How to get better paying clients. So. It's uh, it's counterintuitive, but you're right. And what you do is you get bigger and fiercer fans because the people who do buy it feel like it was written just for them. Yeah. So they're really spreading the word inside their circle of influence. And uh, so you get more buy-in. It's just, in your little world, you become king instead of just a, oh, this is nice in a broader world. Right. Big fish in a small pond. Well said. <laughs> well, Ed, before um, before I let get you before I let you get back to your regularly scheduled life, um, name a business book that um, that you have read recently that you would recommend, and then um, recommend a book that you think that uh, that everybody should uh, should read, whether it's been recent or whether it was uh, published fifty years ago. All right, so a recent one. Ah, man. Um, I've read some really good ones recently, but I'm going to go to the best one I've read uh, in the past couple of years because it's there's not that many books that I read that I say, you know what, this is one that I'm going to reread every year. It's pretty rare for me. I don't like rereading books. <laughs> Um, right. But but this is one that I read a couple of years ago, and and I reread every year. Uh, and it's the Happiness Advantage. Uh, let me look. I just looked at the subtitle. It's called the Happiness Advantage: The Seven Principles of Positive Psychology. That uh, what is it? Uh, that fuels success and performance at work by Sean Aker. A C H O R. Fantastic book. Uh, really. You know, it's not a fluffy book. It's not a, you know, be happy and, and love everybody book. There's a lot of science there. Uh, Sean is a uh, is a professor at Harvard, very grounded guy. And it really shifted the way I thought about happiness and what it takes to, to maintain happiness really throughout your day and in your life. And um, totally different paradigm. I, I just absolutely love it, and it's something I have to revisit because I forget very quickly, and I default, go back to my default, which is you know kind of the the model that many of us think is right. right. <laughs> um, 
So that's been that's been a more recent one, and I guess so. The second one was more of a, a favorite of one all of your, time. One of, your, one of your favorite books doesn't have to be business, but one one of your favorite books of all time that you would uh, you think everybody should should read. You know, I, I would say I don't have one in particular, uh, but. The, when I get asked that question, just anything from Malcolm Gladwell, I just yeah, right. It just uh, yeah. oh. tipping point, of course. Outliers, uh, blink. I everyone should read that, and especially if you're in business or work with people, which is pretty much all of us. Uh, I think that's a must read. Uh, everyone should should have to read those books. It explains so much about human nature and human behavior and why things are the way they are. Uh, and it really shifts your thinking um, in, a, in a very positive way. So I think those three books, they belong in everyone's bookshelf. And not just there, but they, they, they need to be read and applied. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. You mentioned Dan Pink a little earlier, kind of those big picture books that are, that are founded in, in real science. And, uh, and, and evidence, um, Malcolm Gladwell, Daniel Pink, and then a guy that's come out in the last couple of years, Charles uh, Duhigg, who wrote uh, The oh, Power yeah. of Habit, yes. and he just uh, released uh, Smarter, Better, Faster, up in that same category. Great stories, great um, advice, and uh, and based in you know, based in facts and science, not just you know this is what I feel and and. Uh, and stuff that can't be can't be backed up by science. I like the um, um, I like the um, I like authors who can tell who can present great information in an entertaining way. And all three of those authors they they do a great job of storytelling. Yes, and they 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 are certainly masters of that. Yeah. And thank you so much for all of your uh, your time today. Um, I know that you've got a lot going on. But I really appreciate you coming on and giving your experience. Um, it's neat to be able to talk to a business author uh, in a six years after the publication of their book to see what the book has done for their business and, and have time to process what you would do differently, what you did right, and then share that with everyone. I appreciate you being so open and honest about your experiences. Oh, my pleasure, Derek. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. Great. All right, man. Well, you have a great day. Thanks, Ed. You too.